You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. As we kick off a brand new series today through uh, or on prayer. And so um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to start to kick off the series. And so if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me. If not, I'll be sure and we'll put the verses on the screen. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting here in verse 1. Ephesians 2 verse 1. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once live in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But... If there's ever a place you want God to butt into your life, it's right here. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we recognize today that we have nothing within ourselves that has any power to rescue or save ourselves from sin, death, and hell. You hold the power. And so we pray that right now as we dive into your scriptures, in the midst of the busyness of life and the religion and the at times feel like we have to present ourselves as someone that we're not and all of that kind of stuff, the stresses, the, the worries, Holy Spirit, would you just please graciously come right now, invade our space, crowd our lives with your presence, focus our attention on you, And leave us today different than we came, transformed more into the image of your Son. And it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Well, growing up, I was not exactly the coolest kid in our school, which I know probably comes as a huge shock to everybody, right? Um, Right? It's a big shock. Um, You know, growing up, basically, I I was kind of left on the outside of the cool kid club. If you would have found me, you would have found me playing pogs. Uh, drawing X-Men um, or rollerblading up and down my street by myself. True story. Um, that was up until at least 10th grade. And in 10th grade, everything changed because the coolest kids in the sophomore class came up to me out of nowhere and asked me if I wanted to go out with him Friday night and cruise Highway 412. Now, just uh, a moment of confession. How many of you in here today are guilty of at one point in your life cruising Highway 412? Raise your hands. Holy cow, man, that's amazing. Um, 
So, yeah, there used to be teenagers, I promise you. It actually used to be a pretty cool thing. <laughs> Believe it or not, you would get in your car and you would just do this loop between Dodge's Chicken, Dodge's Gas Station, and, and what's now Batten's Donuts and Anytime Fitness, right? And so you just make that loop constantly. And so when the coolest kids in my class asked me to go do that, I jumped on it. And it was the dead of the winter. I mean, it's like 25 degrees outside, but the whole time I'm leaving my window down because I want everybody to see who I'm with, right? And so you've got to picture this. I mean, as a sophomore, I was 120 pounds. I'm 170 right now. Same height, 120 pounds. I had Harry Potter glasses and a mouthful of metal, right? And I'm literally in this truck with Evan Elmore, who was our class favorite, Drew Hunt, who was voted best looking, and Jared Williams, who drove this brand new 1999 extended cad stepside Chevrolet pickup truck with leather interior. And I'm sitting there with these guys, and here's the thought that keeps crossing my mind. I don't belong here. Like, like, I, I mean, these are guys that from this point I've just known from afar and I've revered as being just these almighty dudes. And now here I am, and I mean, if you would have looked at the picture and been like, which one of these is not like the other, like clearly I would have stuck out, right, among these guys. So I'm thinking, I don't, I don't belong here with these guys. But yet this night and all through my high school career, they were so gracious to constantly remind me, yes, you do belong here. Yes, we do love you. Yes, you are truly our friend. And as I started thinking about that this past week, I started thinking, you know, as crazy as it is still for me today to look back on this and think about how the most popular kids in school invited an outcast like me to be in a relationship with them, how much more staggering is it today to know that the creator of the universe has done the same thing for you and for me? How much crazier is it to think? I mean, we, now spiritually speaking, we're not that impressive, okay? We're not. None of us are. I mean, spiritually speaking, right, like, there's none of us in here that really have that much to be proud of whenever you compare us to the holiness of God. And yet the God who rules and reigns over all creation has made a way for us to have a relationship with him, to be included in his circle of friends, to know him, to walk with him, and to experience his presence where the Bible says there is a fullness of joy. That's great news today. But here's the problem. Though the author of life has invited you and I to be in a relationship with him. And not only has he invited us into a relationship with him, he desires a relationship. The problem lies here. The problem lies in the fact that one of the primary ways that God has invited us to cultivate this relationship, one of the primary ways God has called us to cultivate a healthy, life-giving, joy-filled relationship with him is through what the Bible calls prayer. And here's why this is a problem, okay? And I want you to, to, to be honest with me. If you are here today... And you are here today, by the way, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> I always said I would never say that, and I just said it. Um, if you were here today, and you have a deep, consistent, vibrant, life-giving, joy-filled, daily prayer life, where you know you experience God's presence on a daily basis, you know He hears from you, right? You hear from Him. If that's you... Raise your hand. That's why this is a problem. Because if we are going to experience the relationship with God that we are longing for, we have to learn to do something that we all just admitted none of us do very well at all. And so... 
be encouraged by the bad news before we move forward. If you're here today and you say, man, I really struggle with my prayer life, you're not in the minority. You're by far in the majority. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I really am not good at this whole prayer thing, you're not alone. So be encouraged by that. But listen, guys, if we're going to experience the life God has created us to experience with him on this earth, we have to figure this out. We have to learn how to go from living lives of prayerlessness to lives of prayerfulness. And that's why we're launching this series. Um, As pastors, what we're committed to in this church is we're going to be launching series like this uh, several times throughout the year and years to come where we literally are going to say, look, because we want to experience the life of Jesus, we know we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And so we're going to pick specific disciplines that that Jesus practiced in his own life that we're going to teach on. And then we're going to give you MC discussion guides for your missional community where you can dive deeper into this and then ways to begin to put things into practice that Christ put into practice. And we believe that the most important discipline that we need to focus on first and foremost is this discipline of prayer. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about how to cultivate a life of prayerfulness. But before I focus on the how, this morning what I want to do is I want to focus on the why. I want to specifically focus on why is it that we struggle so much with prayer. And I think there are three reasons today, three barriers, three obstacles to us having a life of prayerfulness. And if you look back in Ephesians 2 with me, what we're going to see is the very first thing that comes up in our prayerless lives. One of the reasons prayer is such a problem for us is first and foremost, because we don't really have a prayer problem, we have a worship problem. And here's what I mean by that. If you look with me again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, and you were, what's the next word? Dead. Dead. He doesn't say, and you were sick. He doesn't even say, and you were lost. He says, and you were, talking to all of us in here, at one time, dead in your sins. Now let's talk about what that means for just a moment. Um, a couple of weeks ago, downtown Paragold hosted their annual zombie walk. Okay, um, Do we have a picture from that, by the way? Did I send that to you? Yeah, there we are, right there. This is the Flintstone Zombies in front of our building, um, they represent hundreds of people who come to downtown Paragold and pay money to dress up and pretend to be these moving corpses that are controlled by their own flesh-eating appetites. And not only do they represent hundreds of people who come down to Paragold and do that, and if, if that's you, cool, it's your thing, great, like, no judgment. Um, but they also represent thousands upon thousands, maybe millions upon millions of people who in our world right now are totally obsessed with zombies. And it kind of begs the question, like, why is it that we are so enthralled? Why are we so obsessed and grossed with zombies? And some say, well, it's just good fun or it's entertaining. But maybe it's more than that. Daniel Montgomery says this, perhaps this obsession with zombies has to do with humanity's very nature. Zombies are not, after all, the only creatures that are walking dead. Spiritual death, according to the verse we just read, spiritual death is the born predicament of every person on the planet. We may work hard to keep up our blood pressure balance and our cholesterol under control, and yet, apart from God's resurrecting grace, we're all walking dead. Always on the move, but never truly living. Always consuming, but never satisfied. We're all by birth zombies. Perhaps the zombies on our e-readers and the cinema screens resonate with the wound of the living death that bruises our souls from the moment that we're conceived. 
In other words, what Montgomery is saying here is we're all fearfully and wonderfully made, but the, the moment is we're all spiritual zombies from the moments we are conceived. And listen, I know this is offensive to many people in our culture because in American culture, you're basically told that when you're born, you're born inherently good. That's what we're told. But according to this passage, guys, and what I read in the scripture, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not ever saying I, I preach the Bible perfectly right, but from the best I can see it, we're not born good. In fact, in verse 2, it says we're born dead in our sins. And in verse 2, because we're born dead in our sins, he says we're following after the course of the world. Like, that's our default setting. Not to follow Jesus, to follow the world. To say we're going to run our lives, we're going to manage our time and our relationships the way the world says to manage it. And not only are we following the course of the world, it gets even worse than that. Verse 3 says you're following Satan by default setting. Now, how many of you in here would say, I used to be a Satan follower? Right? Probably not many of us. But the truth is, according to Scripture, guys, listen, if you're not following Jesus, who's the author of life, you're following Satan, who has come to kill, steal, and destroy. There's no neutral ground. It's a big deal. He goes on and he says, not only this, but in verse 3, we all used to be, because we were dead in our sins, slaves to the flesh. That means we were born with this mindset, if it looks good, if it tastes good, if it feels good, then I need to go for it. Like zombies... All of us at one time were controlled by our appetites, looking for life and things that could only bring about more death. And because of that, if it want to get any better, this is in verse 3, because we're born dead in our sins, falling after the course of the world, falling after Satan, just living for the flesh. Verse 3, he literally says, we are all born objects of God's wrath. How's that for a self-esteem booster this morning? You and I, are not, according to Scripture, born good, we're born dead. That's bad news. But here's the good news. Though we were born worse than we could ever imagine, the Bible's also clear, we're born more love than we ever dreamed. And, and we see that in verse 4, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. It says that we're born dead in our sins. It says, but God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even whenever we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. What Paul is saying here is, look, we were all born dead, which means, guys, you could not save yourself. A dead person can't resuscitate their lifeless soul. That's what he says here, like you were born dead in your sins, but God in his great grace being rich in mercy because of his unconditional love, rather than leaving us in our helpless state, he sent his son Jesus to die the death that the living dead deserve to die. And not only that, not only did Jesus come and die on our behalf, but because God refuses to let death have the final say-so in your life, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to be with the Father, and then he sent us his Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that Romans 8 says, raise Christ from the dead, so that now, no matter how dead you are, you can be resurrected. You can experience the life with God that you are longing for. There is no better news than that. And if you're sitting here today and you're going, yeah, 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 I've heard all that before, then you don't know what you have. And that's why you struggle so much with prayer. Because at the end of the day, listen, if the gospel becomes old news to you, if you forget just how dead in your sins that you were, if you think that actually like God was just walking around, he's like, ah, Jared Pickney, wow, he's so impressive. I should save that guy so he'll go start a church and maybe I can win the victory. Like, if you think that's the way, if we forget how dead in our sins we were, how we were lost and without hope and heading for hell, 
And that God only by His grace and by His power rescued us so we can experience the salvation and satisfaction that we are longing for. Here's what will happen, guys. Your worship will grow cold. And therefore, your prayer life will run dry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I, ha- I don't ever remember reading this verse. I mean, I've read through the Bible several times, cover to cover. I don't ever remember reading this verse until Friday morning. And I love it. I want to share it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 20 and 24. Paul says this, Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Therefore, brothers or sisters, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. You see what Paul's saying here? He's saying, you want to remain in an intimate, life-giving, joy-filled relationship with God? Here's the key. Remember where you were when God first broke into your life. Remember how desperate you were, how much gratitude you had in your heart, and do not move on from that place ever. That's the key to having this relationship with God. Listen, um, guys, for some of you in here today, the reason you have a prayer problem is because you have a worship problem. Because of the cares of this world or the busyness of life or for a thousand other reasons, you've forgotten who God is and what he's really done for you in Christ. So slowly but surely, you're turning from worshiping the creator to worshiping the creation. And that's a big reason why some of us have lives marked by prayerlessness. But that's not the only reason. Not only do we see we struggle with prayer because we have a misguided worship, but we also see it's because for some of us we have relational wounds. If you look in verse 4... Paul again says, But God, being rich in his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Look at here. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now look right at me. None of us have a human relationship that looks just like that. Therefore, it is incredibly hard for us to believe we can have a relationship like that with God apart from a powerful work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I mean, think about this again. What Paul just said is when it comes to your relationship with God, when you were at your worst, God gave you his best. While you were still living in sin, While you were still living as a slave to the flesh, as a slave to Satan, before you ever lifted a finger for God, he gave you his own son so that rather than getting the hell you deserve, you can have a relationship with him. And in this relationship, again, it's unlike any other relationship in the world because this is a relationship, Paul says, is built on grace from start to finish. That means the relationship hinges not on what you do for God, but what God has already done for you in Christ. And that's why Paul says when it comes to your salvation, none of us can boast. None of us can say, well, look what I did. Because I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but listen, the creator, let this sink into your mind. The creator of the universe is crazy about you. Zephaniah 3 says he rejoices over you with singing. No matter who you are or where you come from, listen, God loves you. And you know why he loves you? Simply because he does. Like, that's scandalous. That is amazing grace. And therefore, guys, listen, what this means is even when you don't get it all right, even whenever you fall, even when you screw up, even when you are faithless, God is always faithful. 
He's always faithful to you. Even when you don't hold up your end of the bargain, even when you don't live up to his holy standard because of Christ, because of who he is and what he's done for you, God doesn't guilt you. He doesn't shame you. He doesn't try to beat you into submission. He just loves you. And he pursues you. And he protects you. And listen, guys, you know why it's so hard for some of you to believe that? Because none of us have grown up in relationships that look just like that. No matter what home you came from, listen, some of you, you have a hard time believing this, but it's true. Your parents are broken, sinful people just like us. And guess what that means? They sinned against you. They didn't love you perfectly. They didn't. And because of that, that creates relational wounds in our life. And as a result, because most of us don't know how to deal with those relational wounds, or we just don't acknowledge it, what eventually happens is our perception of God becomes tainted by these past relationships, which therefore keeps us from believing God really relates to us the way he says he relates to us, which therefore causes our prayer life to suffer. And just to kind of like put the cookies on the bottom shelf for you, here's an example from my own life. I grew up at home. My parents loved me. They're still together. We had three meal, I mean, three square meals every single day. All of our basic needs were provided for. But I grew up at home where my parents were crazy busy. My dad worked full-time in a factory. He also pastored a church. My mom was also very busy. And so because they always had things they had to do, places they needed to go, people they needed to minister to, I began to look at their lives and say, when is enough enough? And for me, the answer to that question as a kid was never. It's never enough. No matter how much you do, you can never do enough. And so for me, I grew up with a whole lot of shame. I mean, I always would try to do, 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 but could never do enough. So I felt a lot of shame even between me and my parents. Not necessarily because of anything they ever said to me, but just because of what I perceived in their life. And not only did I have a shame when it came to my relationship with my mom and dad, but I had shame now when it came to my relationship with God. I begin to project onto him and think he must be the exact same way my parents are. And the fact that what God cares about more than anything is more than me being with him is me doing things for him. And so you know how that, that impacted me? What that meant is when I became a Christian at 20, I didn't even feel like I could go really talk to God because I knew he was busier than my parents were. So surely he didn't have time to talk to me about my little bitty you know, issues. And so what I would do is rather than going praying to God, I'd say, well, I need to prove to God first that I really, really, really love him and I'm going to go do a bunch of stuff. So I'm going to go like share my, you know, share my faith with somebody. Or I'm going to like read through the book of Leviticus so he like really knows that I love him. And then after I do all this stuff, then I can talk to God. You see how that hurts your prayer life? And for you, maybe you didn't have overly busy parents. Maybe for some of you, you just had parents that you could never please. They were constantly disappointed in you. You were never good enough. You made five A's and one B, it was the B they focused on. Never good enough. Some of you grew up with parents that were cold, they were distant, they were unstable. And listen, guys, if you refuse to acknowledge these relational wounds and deal with them in a healthy way, rather than looking to God as a gracious, kind, loving, faithful father, you will project onto him something he is not, and rather than running to him in prayer, you'll run away from him. That's another reason why we struggle with prayerlessness. But then there's a third and final reason this morning that we struggle with prayer. And not only is it because we have a worship issue and a wounds issue, but we also have a works issue. In verse 10, Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. If you've been coming to this church for any length of time, you should be picking up on a theme in our church. And here's the theme. Ready? You are not saved by good works. But you are saved for good works. 
We absolutely fellowship believe that God has saved us and he has called us into himself and he has filled us with the Holy Spirit. Listen, not just for an ever-increasing joy and personal comfort, but ultimately for the mission, for the mission of seeing his kingdom come and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And plain and simple, listen guys, prayerlessness always follows those who are not engaged in this mission. Always. Paul says in here, again, that we are, think about this, we are God's workmanship. The Greek word for workmanship here is literally the Greek word poema, which refers to any work of art, statue, song, architecture, painting, or a poem. It's only used in one other time in Scripture, and it's used to talk about how God's creation displays His glory. And right here, Paul says what? There's another creation, a new creation that displays God's glory, and what is it? Saved sinners. Because that should blow your minds. Think about how beautiful God's creation is, and more than anything else, he looks at you and says, you are going to display my glory. You are my workmanship. Another translation is, you are my masterpiece. Guys, you are God's masterpiece. If you've been filled with his Holy Spirit, and now God's plan is not just for you to sit back, you know, go get up in a tree, you know, all the troubles of the world, make your own jam, and wait for Christ to return, just hold on, you know, like just waiting for heaven. Right, like, like, God wants to mold you and shape you in such a way that literally you show a picture to the world of what he is like. So the people who are far from God can be brought near. What this means, listen, I want to be as super clear as I can. If you are a Christian, listen carefully. You cannot separate your being saved from your being sent on a mission. And that mission is to make much of Jesus Christ so that the spiritually dead, the walking dead, can be brought to life. If you believe this, if you embrace this mission, you're going to embrace a life of prayer because you're going to realize the works that God has laid on your hands to do is a work you cannot pull off apart from his power. And so for some of you this morning, listen, the reason you have a life of prayerfulness right now, or prayerlessness, The reason your life is marked by prayerlessness is because, quite honestly, you're living a life you can pull off in your own power. And you know who you are because you're bored out of your minds right now when it comes to following Jesus. There's no adventure in your life. This is all talk. This is a religious duty. I'm going to come, I'm going to listen to a sermon. I'm going to sing a few songs. Check, 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 check. (sighs) Back to being a good boy or a good girl. Some of you in here, and listen, I'm saying this with with love in my heart because... The only reason for me to bring this up is you're, you're missing out. You're missing out. Some of you in here, you're not seeking to make disciples. You're not sharing your faith. You're not trying to get to know your neighbors. You're not trying to give financially to the church or to the mission beyond what makes sense on paper. You're not willing to make any sacrifices here or there. For some of you, God has called you to lead others in this church, and you're not even leading yourself. Some of you, you are settling for the American version of Christianity you can pull off in your own power. Therefore, rather than walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're walking in your own strength. And as a result, prayerlessness marks your life and God feels a million miles away. You don't need his presence. You don't need it. You can do it all in your own strength. And so listen, um, there's a lot of ways we can end the sermon today. I want to go ahead and I want to, start coming to a close because it's 1044. 
Um, and there's like a gazillion kids back there, and the, the children's teachers will kill me if I go super late. Um, but here's what I want to do. Here's the way I want to end the message this morning. I think it'd be kind of silly to preach on prayer and us not practice praying right now. And so let's pray. Um, I want to invite the band to come up. And everybody else, just stay, stay still. Try not to lose this moment. And I want us to engage in this ancient three-step process known as examination, confession, and assurance. Okay? And if you're here and you're not a Christian, or maybe even if you are a Christian, this may be a little spooky for some of you, but I promise you're going to survive. Okay? Here's what I want us to do. Without shuffling around, checking your text messages and emails and all that, I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes. Bow your heads. Don't look around. And I want to encourage you to start by just paying attention to your mind and body right now. Are you tense? Are you angry? Are you bitter? What do you feel right now? You feel shame, embarrassment? You feel guilt? You feel lonely? You feel afraid? And here's what I want you to do. In this moment, ask the Lord to open your mind and heart and ask Him this, where is there sin in my life right now that I'm not aware of? Ask Him, say, Father, why have I been struggling so much with prayerlessness? Is it a worship issue? Has the gospel grown cold? Maybe for some of you, is it possible that you're dead in your sins? You have religion, but you do not have a relationship with God? Is it a wounds issue? Is there something from your past that a mom or a dad did or did not do for you? And as a result, it's caused bitterness to sink into your heart or spiritual apathy and you're projecting on God something that he's not? Is it a works issue for some of you? Has God called you maybe to lead a missional community and you're running from that? Or he's called you to step up in a certain way that you're, you're not wanting to step up? Or there are certain works he's laid on your hands to do as a father or as, as a mother, as a spouse, as a teacher, as a neighbor? There are certain things he's called you to do that you know you're running from and you're just not doing? And here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Just confess that to the Lord at this time. Don't be vague. Be specific. And to say, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me for whatever it is that the Holy Spirit graciously brings to your life right now. And now to move to a time of assurance, listen, confession is never meant to burden your soul. It's meant to unburden your soul. And so what I want to do is a time of just assurance of reminding us of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. As I want us, in just a moment, to partake of communion, to be reminded that Christ came and he accomplished everything for us that we could not accomplish for ourselves so that the spiritually dead could be brought to life so that we could be healed of our wounds and so that we could truly do the works that he's called us to do through his power and even knowing that when we don't do those works that we can be forgiven and free because he did the work perfectly on our behalf. But before we partake of communion, here's what I encourage you to do. And again, without talking and chatting and all that, I want you to just stand with me. Just stand with me. And, and, and as a way of assurance, I want us to out loud read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 together. And I'm going to start with you. And I'm going to read the first few verses. You can read what's on the screen. And then after that, I'm just going to kind of step aside and let you finish reading Ephesians 
4 through 10 by yourselves. And I want you to read this with confidence, asking the Holy Spirit to make this alive in your heart. So let's start and let's read this aloud together, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Read this loudly. But God, being rich in mercy, because of great love in which he lived us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up in the humans, and seated us in the heavenly places in Jesus' so that at the coming of ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ, Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 